Don't just stay in your little marketing hub. Go and meet as many of the salespeople and get as close to them as you possibly can. Earn some trust there. That way, when you do launch campaigns, you're going to get more support from that sales team and your campaigns are going to be more successful because they're going to put forth the effort that you were wanting and hoping. B2B Content Strategist is the podcast where you'll hear actionable advice and strategic guidance from content marketing leaders. I'm Amy Woods, CEO of Content 10X, and I sit down with leading B2B marketers to discuss how they overcome challenges with limited time and resources and execute winning campaigns time after time. If you want to improve and streamline your content marketing, keep listening. Hello and welcome to this episode of B2B Content Strategist. I'm your host, Amy Woods, the founder of Content 10X. And in this episode, I speak with Scott Logan, who is Chief Marketing Officer at Chronologic. Chronologic is an AI-powered scheduling platform for marketing and sales teams that automates the sending of meeting invitations to inbound leads. And it's pretty awesome. Now, in this episode, Scott and I chat about how Chronologic created an entirely new content strategy when moving from selling B2B enterprise level to B2B e-commerce and how that has had a big impact on the type of content that they create. He also shares the type of content that makes the biggest impact, the inspiration behind his Making Fun of Marketing podcast and how he manages his busy workflow and where AI fits into the equation. He also provides tips for utilising in-house resources when budgets are tight and so much more. I really did have a fantastic conversation with Scott. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So without further ado, let's jump in. Scott, welcome to B2B Content Strategist. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. Very much looking forward to this conversation. (laughs) Um, To kick things off, as I always ask with guests on the show, um, please could you in summary, tell us a bit more about your role and also what Chronologic does as well. Absolutely. So I'm CMO of Chronologic. And what we do is automated scheduling for marketing and sales teams. So instead of call email, call email to try and get a hold of an inbound lead to schedule a discovery call, or instead of just sending a calendar link in an email that could get lost or puts all the work on scheduling the meeting on the buyer, we proactively automate the whole scheduling process through a couple of different formats and included sending an invite that's tailored to the campaigns with predicting when they're available. And then all the buyer has to do is click accept. And myself, which is why I joined and our customers have seen tremendous success on expediting that process and improving the buyer's experience through that. So you said why you joined, were you a chronologic fan and user before you came over to join the company then? Actually, my last two companies were both sales engagement platform software companies. And when the pandemic hit, we were looking for a better way to engage folks and maybe a more proactive way to engage folks with our highest intent accounts and folks who are just asking for a meeting to make it life easier for sale. That's the whole point of marketing. And when we tried this method out with five different use cases across five different SDRs, 
the worst improvement we got was double the conversion rates. So I thought, this is interesting. So instead of just buying the software, I convinced them to bring me on as their marketing leader. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Love that story. I experienced Chronologic because you shared a link with me when we booked in this meeting. Yeah, it seems fantastic. And as you mentioned, obviously, you came over then, Chief Marketing Officer, after you were wowed by what it does. What does your team look like? Like how many people, what kind of roles do you have at the team over there in your marketing department? Yeah, the team basically consists of, in its full form, a demand gen leader, a customer marketing person, a sales ops person. And then we, because we market what we sell, we use what we sell. We are all content creators and divide up that workload. However, when I was in like the telecom industry, for instance, or even the contact center software industry, we typically had a content person or small team and then decided what content we should outsource versus what's in-house. Right now, we have a wide range of skill sets, and we basically divide it up in-house. But it just depends on what your scenario is for and what kind of volume you need to create in of content to be able to get out there what you want. Sometimes even using the product and engineering experts, if it's a product, more of an engineering-focused product that doesn't relate to marketing. Yeah, really interesting. So in terms of your content strategy... I see, as you mentioned, obviously, from what you just said, you've created lots of different content. I saw that you've got lots going on LinkedIn, lots of thought leadership type content through conferences and summits and things like that. You've got the podcast that I know you're the host of, the Making Fun of Marketing podcast and the blog as well. Lots going on, clearly. What is your current priorities in the specifically like the content marketing side of uh, your role? Yeah. So when I think about our campaigns for any demand gen team that I've ran, obviously learned early on right away that content is king, but also you need to have the right audience and you need to have the right type of campaign, for, meaning reaching out to your target audience in the right channels where they're at and how they engage. And more importantly, now aligning the types of content you push in each channel, because each channel needs a separate type of content that's geared towards how that type of content is consumed. LinkedIn has a lot of thought leadership. Your website can be more demo, product-oriented, problem-oriented. And then if you have advertising, it's probably more so along the lines of your research reports, insights that you find that people can download and learn from the extra layer on top of that is that audience part where the content is aligned to that audience. If you sell to marketing and sales, make sure that the marketing content and the sales content is tailored. You don't have one piece of content that can apply to both. Unless you're resource strapped, then you can play the middle gray area. But if you sell to IT and finance, those are two very different conversations if they're both the main parts of your buying circle. And there you probably have to have a much more drastic separation in what you're talking about, where sales and marketing can often piggyback each other. I know at Chronologic, you told me about an aspect of your content strategy that's been really key recently, or I guess you can you tell me more about that in terms of the recency, but that's around moving from selling to 
B2B enterprise level organizations to actually pivoting more and having a focus on B2B commerce and the, I guess, the different challenges of who are you marketing to and who are you talking to and what the pain points are of a B2B commerce buyer versus B2B enterprise level. So how have you managed that and what kind of challenges and surprises did you encounter when trying to focus on that change in strategy and approach? That's a great question because I've learned, knew this, but when you have a B2B enterprise sales cycle where you're selling to a mid to enterprise level company, not only does the source of the content that you push out need to be a little bit more strategic, it also needs to be a little bit more thought leadership focused in my mind because the sales cycles are so long. It could be months, maybe even half a year to close a deal. Sometimes if it's a large IT sale, it could be longer than that. So you need to keep them engaged along the way. And if you have just buy now, try this now, go for it now content, that's going to get very annoying to them because that's not how they buy. You have to address all the different personas. You have to make sure that the thought leadership addresses all the challenges from all the different team members that are in that buying committee. And it takes time to be able to bring all those people on board with the value or and the problem solving values that you bring to market with your solution and addressing it as such. So it's a much more long-term play with your content and you have to engage a lot more people. So you have to make sure that you're hitting all those personas over the course of time to be able to pull them into a sales cycle that's going to have not just hitting a lead goal, but more so having it aligned to the pipeline and opportunity goal, and then making sure that six months down the road, it'll be hard to give attribution to any one thing in a long enterprise sale but you're still able to have a close rate on when there's X amount of marketing touches, when these personas have marketing touches, does the deal convert? So you can look at your close one and close lost. And if you're tracking all the different touch points in say a Salesforce campaign, then you're able to assess, are these campaigns hitting? Are they not? Are people engaging with them? Are they not across the different personas? Because most CRMs will are geared to consolidate that and tell you that insight. However, because people are cutting budgets now, whether you're selling IT software or sales or marketing software or whatever it is, it's harder to move people through that channel. So what we've done is said, all right, because budgets are locked down, we need to gear the product more towards an e-commerce style motion and let people go rogue, if you will, to be able to try something out in a very simple fashion on their own, either for free or at a very low cost to be able to validate it in real life before they move into maybe a larger sales cycle, or maybe it's not a larger sales cycle and you just get a handful of users on your platform within the teams that you are aiming for. And then when budgets do open up, potentially you can upsell, cross-sell to them, but at least you have them in the product using it so that when they move to a company that has budget or their budget opens up, you can sell them the formal enterprise solutions. So that's what we're gearing towards right now, which is moving into that more individual 
try it now, give a, here's a challenge that you're facing today. Here's the conversion on a really simple motion to get you into the product and see if it works for you and validate it quickly. And so that type of content is very personal. It's very specific challenge oriented, trying to hit on the things that are most important to that person at that moment in time, even if it doesn't have formal medic or BANT qualification criteria, it does help that one person who can influence a, a bigger, larger deal later on. And so that's where we're moving to. And you have the product-led growth motion that we're leaning towards, though it's not true product-led growth where you download it for free, use it, and then you get upgraded within the platform. Uh, but that's the end goal. And it seems like the companies who have started there are seeing some success now, more so than the companies who are only enterprise sales in the prior pre-2022 world. It's really interesting. And, you know, how you explained that longer sales cycle and longer nurture cycle that comes with the enterprise level sales in comparison to the e-commerce, B2B e-commerce that you're now focusing on. It's It reminded me of some of the conversations that I've had with people around the differences between B2B and B2C in terms of B2B being more of that longer sales cycle. Would you say that in looking at different content that is has more immediacy to it and more that e-commerce persona that you're going for versus enterprise level that um, you guys are taking maybe some methods and learnings that might be more akin to B2C? Yeah, this isn't anything new. Often in B2B, we've said, learn what B2C is doing and then apply it over here. Yes and no. You can't always do the same and measure it apples to apples because in a true e-commerce, buy a product, buy something that's small, selling to a consumer, you have high volumes and you have very short sales cycles. And any change I make today could affect sales in two days where... If you do those types of drastic shifts to try and experiment at a large scale or even at a small scale, you may not have enough volume to see if that works in a small short-term scale or in a large scale. It's going to be months before you find out whether or not that's effective. So make sure that if you're implementing those B2C tactics, you have a B2C mechanism that you're able to see those short-term metrics. So that's one thing that I always caution folks on going to B2C right away if you don't have a smaller purchase cycle or a smaller free trial cycle, and it's still just full enterprise platform, schedule a demo, talk to all the influencers, that steer you in the wrong direction if you don't do it properly. So that's why we've been able to shift the product first to having a smaller purchase and a, an easier free trial with a subset of just the tools that can be used as an individual. And now that we're able to offer that, I'm pushing the content and being more direct and getting folks onboarded so that we can try to see those quick hit metrics. Are they hitting the landing page? Are they signing up for the free trial? Once they get into the free trial, are they actually using it? And we can see the bottlenecks. We actually had a meeting yesterday where we were looking for the bottlenecks of those different components because it is a very light lift to start using where 
in the prior world, it was admin only driven and took a four week onboarding and implementation process. So now that we're into a day or two at most, we can see those changes quicker and we can see if the content is making an impact faster. And what kind of content is making an impact faster in terms of what types, what content formats and what platforms and that kind of thing do you guys really see is having that biggest impact? Yeah, we're, that's what we're experimenting with right now and trying to figure these things out. So we've had a few hits on some winners and one of them was an article from a Zapier editor and or contributor for content where he ranked the top seven schedulers for 2023 and labeled us as the top scheduler for leads. Initially, I was like, this is interesting. He seems like he is legitimately working with Zapier, everything checked out. So let's just go for it. I may or may not have done that in the big B2B cycle because big B2B companies typically don't use Zapier. They just want the softwares to integrate to each other. However, in an individual's world or a small business world, even a, a smaller mid business, uh, you're going to have folks who are trying to just put things together as best they can. So that article, when that was published, actually drove a large wave of demo requests and then customers shortly thereafter when that article got published. And that kind of told us, all right, people are looking for these hacks, if you will, on how to do something better. We now have a strategy around how can we work better with Zapier? How can we work better with these other app marketplaces? To Because that seems like where people are searching and have more of those best for this use case tool content and explaining why, and then not necessarily straight going after competitors, but maybe saying, here's where we play in the space. Here's where we're used. Here's where they're used well versus our platform can do all this that these other platforms you already have can do it all in one. And so I think that's where we're starting to see some traction on what types of content and how it's consumed and how fast we should be looking out for results versus the old world of more keep pushing out the content to the right personas and make sure those personas are consuming so that when we get into the area where we're seeing the intense signals from a certain company, we can then go start selling to them. It's flipped on the other way around and you're selling to the individual and then seeing if there's anything to get bigger or any doors open up for a bigger opportunity. Um, and if not, that's still fine. Let's not say that's a loss. Let's can have them continue to be successful with the smaller free version or low cost version. Just a super quick break from this conversation to let you know that if you're a B2B technology or professional services company and you want help with streamlining your content operations, outsourcing your content repurposing is the number one way to produce more high quality content and boost your ROI without putting any more pressure on your team. In fact, it could save your team up to 30 hours per week. We offer content repurposing services for video and audio content. Whether you have a show or you're launching a brand new one, maybe you have an archive of awesome content, be it webinars or a virtual event, or you want help creating thought leadership content that we can repurpose, we've got you covered. Head to content10x.com to see how we can help you and start increasing your efficiency and the value you get from your content. Now back to the conversation. 
And you've launched your podcast as well. So you've got the Making Fun of Marketing podcast. What was the, the driver behind that and how's that going? It's going really well. The driver behind it is I always see the, the companies out there that are the biggest influencers have a podcast. I listen to many of them. They have great guests that give great insights. And there's a lot of individuals becoming influencers on their own. And some of the advice you get from those is so high level that there's not really a lot to gain from. And some of it comes from folks who haven't necessarily done all that or have a very narrow scope because they've been in one industry for so long. And what works there really doesn't apply other places. And in getting frustrated about that, I was like, oh, there's the idea where my peers and I would often just have funny comments of, did you hear this? Did you hear what that person said? Can you believe that? And it's not really poking fun at a specific person, but more so poking fun at the tactics that we do, that we think are best practices, that really we just haven't thought of a better way to do it. And it's foolish to do it that way. So let's figure out a better way. We had the uh, Leslie Barrett on from Sendoso talking about the evolution of direct mail. What are good versions of doing this versus bad versions? We had Jay Bear on and Justin Keller from Drift as like a group podcast to where we talked about the evolution of content and why it's even more important now to be differentiating. And well, what does it mean to be differentiating now versus then? And what's a foolish way to be differentiating? And what's the smart way to be differentiating? Because the landscape has changed. So it, we tongue in cheek talk about the silly things that we all personally did, having some humility and telling our own stories about eye roll moments looking back in time. And then now, how do we do things better? So you can get that double-edged of, hey, here's, this is actually silly. If you were thinking it's silly, it is. And now you can get some takeaways to improve on adapting to how the market is shifting. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. It's such a great concept and it's nice and refreshing for experts to come on and actually be willing to share like as well, just mistakes they've made, things that haven't gone quite well and things like that. So it's a, a nice, refreshing change. And actually it was Leslie Barrett, who you mentioned, who was on my podcast. And then I asked the question at the end, we speak to leaders in the B2B marketing space and who do you look up to and who do you think is a big tick in that category that we should be speaking to? And she said, you, Scott. So that was the, and, she, and she'd been on your podcast and things like that. So yeah, there's that connection there, which is awesome. I've listened to some episodes I mentioned to you. I know Jay Bear really well. So when I saw Jay had been on your podcast, I had to listen to what he had to say. And, I've, and I devoured other episodes as well. It's really good. So yeah, congrats. Great show. <laughs> we'll put a link to the show and direct people to go and check it out in the show notes for this episode. So yeah, go and check the podcast out. It's awesome. I wanted to ask you about your workflow. So obviously you're managing busy marketing team you've got lots on. One question that I've enjoyed asking everybody on this season of B2B content strategy is, have you started to integrate AI into your workflows within your team? Obviously, I know Chronologic is an AI-powered powered platform. And from that perspective, of course, AI is super important. But from yourselves and your marketing team, has, have you started ChatGPT or the different AI tools out there? Yeah. So, what I found is that the primary way that I'm using it to become more powerful and more efficient, put more information out there faster is using it as 
basically my first draft. So that's actually what we call the AI, generative AI version of our AI in our platform is just called first draft where it makes your email message and then you can adapt it from there because oftentimes starting something is harder than editing something. And so if you can have a really good prompt and even feed it the information you want it to write about, then it creates a fantastic first draft that you can go through and edit and tweak to tailor it to the nuances of what the messages you're trying to get across better than what an AI generator could ever think about at that point. For instance, I'll take a podcast episode transcript and say, write a key takeaways list describing the discussion from this podcast. And I'll paste the entire podcast transcript into OpenAI or whatever. I've actually used a few of them and I just pick the best version that comes out. Right now, I think that the new ChatGPT does a little bit better job in most cases of providing what I'm looking for specifically. And then I'm able to say, instead of writing a, po a blog post in an hour or so, I took four podcast transcripts, put it in, and then in 20 minutes was able to get an output, edit it, and post it and was able to get that done really efficiently and effectively. I'm not so keen on the idea of ChatGPT actually going down the road of having the conversation for you yet. I don't know that the context is totally there and it doesn't know what your motives are really, but it can do a decent job of personalizing it for a persona or geared towards a problem or sourcing other types of content to give you fresh ideas that maybe you wouldn't have thought about. One of the main problems is that sourcing piece though, like you get the output and you don't know the source of it. <laughs> so you actually have to double check some of the stuff that it tells you, though I've found that I can pretty easily validate what it's saying and cut out anything that I'm not quite sure on if that was sourced or made up. Cause I've heard of some people running into problems where it made up content and made up source from it. But if you're looking at putting out just like marketing thought leadership, it's typically pretty safe. If it's some kind of a legal or financial prompt of response, I would not trust it whatsoever. I would just do that on your own because you could get in trouble. And that's, so that's how we're using it to make sure that we're being as efficient and effective as possible with fewer resources at our fingertips. And aside from AI, are there any other things that you are doing to just streamline and optimize some of the more day-to-day -day and recurring processes that you have as a team, as a busy team? Yeah, I think this kind of goes back to how you build your team and looking at the strengths of your team and seeing what other obscure talents they have. So for instance, I went to film school and had made tons and tons of videos over the course of my life and video production is expensive. So is it worth it for me to spend two, three hours on the weekend or some night editing and creating a video for ourselves? Yeah, because it's not going to be the quality of spending 10 to 15 or $20,000 on a super amazing polished video, but 
the super amazing polished enterprise video is not looked upon as highly as it used to. So something that's a little bit more scrappy or just polished enough to look really sharp and clean, uh, we can save thousands and thousands of dollars doing that. If you have someone who maybe was an editor of a newspaper in college or something, they probably have some good writing skills. If someone was a graphic designer minor, didn't really talk about that because they're doing something else in your organization, maybe they can shortcut some of that spend or save some of that spend and have them do some of that. Plus, it's typically those types of ancillary skills more fall in line with their passion. So they're going to be happier and they're going to have more fun doing their job. And the more mundane stuff is going to seem less mundane because they know that there's a fun project around the corner. So I've always made sure to turn to the team and say, what is it that you want to do? One of my copywriters at one of my companies, she said that she, and I was a fantastic copywriter, but she was interested in marketing operations. So we started to give her some marketing ops projects and was extremely good at it and had a passion for it. And we eventually moved her over to that team. There's lots of areas where you can maybe not necessarily cut corners, but utilize your in-house resources more to save money in this time where we don't have our multi-million dollar marketing budgets to the same degree, or even if it's a smaller company and hundreds of thousands, and now you're tens of thousands, that same practice, even looking outside the marketing team for that, those additional skills could be useful. You just want to make sure that you're not pulling people away too much from their day-to-day. -day. And that's a really good segue actually into my next question, which was around, are there some really key areas and key skills and expertise that you always look to keep in-house and then others that very much think that it's usually worth going out to external providers, outsourcer providers for like in the world of SEO and PPC and like you said, video editing, things like that. But do you have any particular sort of feelings towards I usually would look to outsource that expertise? I don't think you need that in-house versus this should always be in-house. Yeah, I've had a decent amount of success with using outsourced graphics people. I feel like it's always better when I've had an in-house design team that works for both the product and the marketing team, or maybe you have your dedicated designer and product has their dedicated designer, but they roll up to the same person. Even if that person is in product, I don't care. That's fine by me because they're still dedicated to putting our output. And then there's more consistency from the product itself into the marketing brand and vice versa. And I feel that it's a little bit easier to accomplish that if you do want to outsource that because in many ways it's easier with the ebb and flow of that type of design work to outsource it. On really nuanced industries, I feel like I need to have the content person in-house. If it's something that's generic, like when I was working in the connectivity telecom internet world, that content is typically the same across the board. SD-WAN is a specific type of component that can monitor the traffic across your industry, across your enterprise and save you money on internet costs. It's not that any one solution is that much different than another. So one outsourced person could write you an extremely great article. However, something with us where it's a brand new motion, it's a brand new process, it's disrupting the industry in a way and breaking the mold of 
how things are done traditionally, if you have one of those more unique products breaking into a new area, or even, I hate to say it, but category, category creation, I think you should still align to a category, but you're trying to break the norms of it. You need to have that in-house because I've tried so many times, even here at Chronologic, to have someone who's really great at standard sales and marketing, copywriting, just completely miss the mark and I end up not even being able to edit it, to salvage it. I just rewrite it myself. It's just too nuanced. So I think that's where you need to decide in-house or not. How commoditized is your product? And for your marketing operations, I feel like that can live in-house or out-house depending on your budget on if you outsource it or not, because it's basically the same. However, on advertising, I feel like advertising needs to be in-house. There's just too many changes that need to be made too quick. And the messaging and the tactics and the audience have such specific requirements, no matter what type of product you're, you're offering, you just need to be in the weeds of that all the time. And I feel like that needs to be in-house. My agencies have been great agencies, but they've never really nailed it as solidly as when I have an in-house person dedicated to it. Yeah. To advertising, like running paid ad campaigns, basically. Yeah. So LinkedIn ads, DM ads, if you're still using Google ads, depending on the product that could work well or not work well. And then any social media type pushing, even if it's not ads, if it's just the organic mixed with ads, it can get very nuanced and you need to be on top of those metrics. You can use an agency to help you facilitate the operations side of it. If you have very large scale campaigns and spend hundreds of thousands of month a month, you probably want to take the busy work to outsource that, but the strategic work needs to be in-house with a digital manager or digital director, depending on the size of your company. No, I, I agree. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I've got a, a few quick fire questions to ask you. What's a takeaway tip that you would give to your younger self starting out your career? <laughs> I feel like I had really good mentors. So the second I started to do something that wasn't the right way to work, I, I was corrected pretty quickly. <laughs> but some of those moments were... It's a team effort. The first team that I was a part of, it was a large enterprise fortune 20 company. And the, you basically had a 10% cut to the headcount. So of every department every year or two. And so you needed to be successful in and of yourself. And you really needed to promote yourself. You can still promote yourself and be a team player. Always make sure that you're propping up the whole team or the people who worked with you. It's not an I thing. That's nothing new. But if you grew up like I did in an environment where it was survival mode, look out for that when you go to a smaller company. Working with this, I stumbled into this because I started in sales and then went into marketing. If someone didn't have a sales background before going into marketing, I would say work with a sales team as and get as close to the sales team as you possibly can from the very beginning, even if you're in content, even if you're in operations, maybe especially if you're in content and operations, because you need to know everything about what's going on in the salesperson's conversations and their day-to-day -day workflow to be able to do a better job of supporting them, your number one client, the sales team. And I even make it a mantra in, in any of my teams when I come on board is about 50% of your time should be spent with a sales team. 
whether it's listening to call recordings, sitting in the bullpen of the SDRs, doing ride-alongs, spend time with the sales reps at conferences. When you go to them or even sales kickoff, don't just stay in your little marketing hub. Go and meet as many of the salespeople and get as close to them as you possibly can. Earn some trust there. That way, when you do launch campaigns, you're going to get more support from that sales team and your campaigns are going to be more successful because they're going to put forth the effort that you were wanting and hoping. And then they also feel that they can give you sales, giving marketing suggestions and constructive criticism being candid where they may not want to hurt your feelings. They work with you just fine, but they don't want to say, Oh, this didn't work because of this. Cause it's, oh, I know you put a lot of effort into it. So I'm just going to sit back and be quiet. It allows for that communication channel to be more trusting faster where they see that you actually want that feedback. You actually want to make the adjustments because if they're not happy with the campaign, no matter how good the audience is, no matter how good the campaign is, if they're not acting on it, you're SOL. Yeah, <laughs> I absolutely love that. <laughs> A fantastic tip. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Really good. What's a typically overlooked or undervalued tool that you'd recommend to content marketers? If you are, if you have any. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I learned and acted on more so in this role at Chronologic than I have in other companies is that alignment to the product team. I've always known to go and connect with the sales team and try and enable them as much as possible, but I've not taken an extremely focused effort on aligning to product. And most of the time in early in my career at large publicly traded companies, there's an entire product marketing team. They're not really connected to the demand gen. Maybe they're not even connected to the content team. They just push stuff over to us in announcement notes or whatever. And then we take that and run. I feel that I won't move down the path of leading a marketing team without making that product team a core part of our day-to-day -day discussions. Obviously, we're in the sales conversations with the sales team all the time. I'll now be doing the same with the product team. We have a weekly product call. I have a like a marketing and product and sales call that I orchestrate. I also have one-on-ones with the product managers themselves to just have that one-on-one -on -one candid conversation with them on why are you doing this? What's coming down the pipe here? How can I align to you better with this feature? Oh, that's actually not something that we can market, though it is very cool. It's not attractive to drive new customers through. So that's great that we have that now, but let's look at it through a different lens. Oftentimes, I really see that it's the small things that are easy for engineering to do that are the most attractive things for marketing and sales to sell, where a really big heavy lift on the back end of we can now do this and this with the, if we're down, we can move to another service provider to host the whole platform at a moment's notice. That's fantastic. And that was months in the making, but nobody cares because they just assume, buyers assume that's possible. And so I don't even want to market that because then that makes it sound like we couldn't do that beforehand. <laughs> you're probably stable, fine, but now you're extra stable, but that's not a selling point. And making sure that that miss doesn't happen and you have that alignment so that you don't create that same rift that people try to overcome with sales and marketing. You may not even know there's a rift or just a disconnect. Maybe 
less than a riff, more than it's just a disconnect between the product team. And I think for content marketers, that is the most important part that they're probably missing and overlooking is just continual weekly conversations with the folks who are building what you're selling. Yeah. And as you said, with the initial question before the sales team as well. So just constant alignment with sales and with product team and yeah, those guys that are building it. Awesome. So the final question, it's not an easy one, really. <laughs> okay. Chronologic, you've got unlimited budget and unlimited resources, and we want you to run a marketing campaign or a content campaign. What would you do? Unlimited budget, unlimited resources. You can be doing Super Bowl ads or Times Square billboards, primetime TV opportunities. <laughs> what would you do? All of it, everything, all the time. <laughs> I would make sure that the we're using every channel that we can possibly think of that our people would be living at or living within. Obviously, it's all the social media channels, even some experimental ones, like maybe you're not on TikTok and trying stuff out with there and then having actual people dedicated to each one of those channels, not just have a social media or content person handle it as a side project. I would dedicate someone to each one of those and making sure that we have a head of storytelling even, not even like head of content, because I want to make sure that we're telling a story through all those too many times just because it's easier and we have so much to do and everything's moving so fast that you end up telling mini stories or you just tell a bullet point of a story and that's your content. But I would like to just constantly be telling this long story arc, even if it's in quasi narrative form, like the sales bro guy goes down that road with the more long form content that people love and can connect and relate to. I would do that. And then obviously the awareness component that is really important in the enterprise space. And because if you're, if they've never heard of you, they're probably not going to buy you. And then the awareness is equally important on the SMB individual user space because they want to use what seems to be the most trustworthy, but their level of trust is a lot lower. That barrier is lower. And so it's easier to engage them and just make sure that you're always in front of folks all the time. But if it's with the same piece of content or the same piece of content is shared across every channel, that's lame. You want to make sure that you're addressing folks the way they need to be. I think all the other motions I would keep, but being able to have that content video, specific social, and then all the awareness from Times Square to podcast to you name it, let's go for it. And if you don't, not worried about your CAC, then awesome. <laughs> do all things <laughs> no I love that that's fantastic Scott thank you so much for this conversation it's been awesome I know we're I'm mindful of time and I'm very appreciative of you coming on the show and sharing all of your insights what you guys are doing at Chronologic some fantastic tips and advice and words of wisdom there as well so thank you where would you like people to go to connect with you we've mentioned the podcast of course I'll do a big shout out to that in our show notes and everything. But anywhere else, LinkedIn would be a good place. LinkedIn is definitely the place where I will notice you. I try to keep up on that much more than I actually keep up on my email. And also, if you're interested in Chronologic and you just want to try it out, we now have that individual user offering where you can try it for two weeks for free. And then it's only six bucks a month after that and have your own scheduling assistant. So go ahead and check that out. And I think that covers the basis. Awesome. 
Scott, thank you. It's been absolutely fantastic. So thanks for coming on B2B Content Strategist. On behalf of everyone listening, I'm sure all I can say is it's been a lot of learning, a lot of good advice, and I'm so pleased to have had you on. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for the invite, Amy. This has been an awesome conversation. Thanks for listening to this episode of B2B Content Strategist. Do let me know what you thought of our conversation by getting in touch with me on social media. You'll find Content 10X on all the social platforms or search for Amy Woods, CEO of Content 10X on LinkedIn. To find out more about streamlining your content marketing processes and specifically about content repurposing, check out our website, content10x.com, where you'll find information and resources that will help you achieve more with your content more efficiently. And if you're looking for a partner to outsource your content repurposing and distribution to, get in touch as we offer a world-class, fully end-to-end, done-for-you content repurposing service. Thanks again for listening to this episode and I'll catch you in the next one.